You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Good morning, South Bay Church. Good morning. My name is Steve Marici, and uh, you know I, I am grateful that uh, for those of you at home, those of you here, obviously this is Jersey Sunday. I'm just super appreciative of that. You know, once a year I have the opportunity to break out the Steelers gear. Wow, here we go. Uh, you know, I don't know if you guys can get this at home or not, but got the Steelers and Nikes going. <laughs> I think I just hurt myself. No. <laughs> Yeah, try not to break anything. I didn't kind of envision myself uh, landing on the back of my head there. But anyway, great to be here this morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you to our worship team, our tech team, and all of you that are here with us today. We are continuing our six-week journey of 40 Days of uh, Prayer by Kit Cummings. Yeah, I'm just going to go ahead and dive right in here this morning. But, you know, Tip, Kit talked to us about deconstructing, reinventing, being innovative when it comes to who we are how God has created us, the talents that we've been blessed with, and the things that we're passionate about. Yeah. A little bit of passion in this room? Yeah. On a whole bunch of different levels. Obviously, we're talking about our Christian passion. Sometimes we need help. Man, I'm going to Italian. I'm going to knock that thing over. Uh, we're talking about a couple of Italians this morning, too, just FYI. But uh, with that, when it comes to that passion, how do we channel it? How do we get excited within our role as disciples, as Christians, and bring that passion to a lost world. And I love that about Kid. I mean, the guy just kind of bounces off the walls, and I, I kind of like that. Um, all kinds of energy, but you can see the love that he has for God and the love that he has for people. Now, I know this is kind of a lame question, probably, but do we have any hoopsters in the group? You know, people that like basketball, is, is that like an old white guy thing or what? Hoopsters? Does nobody use that anymore? Hooper's a name. I know Hoopers. Anyway, so I guess it's Hoopers. Do we have any Hoopers in the group? Okay, so uh, Kenny, I know we with that. There are probably a few of you that are good with some trivia. Okay, Owen's ready to go. Calvin? Yes, Oscar. Oscar? <laughs> Amen. Okay, so how many points did LeBron end up with when he broke the record? I sounded kind of messy, guys. Does nobody really know what it is? Okay, I think Rick's got it. It sounded right to me, but I'm not a trivia guy, especially with basketball. 38,388. Now, here's, whether that's correct or not, here's what I need you guys to do right now. Not that I don't trust people. I need you to put your cell phones down. And I'll tell you when you can pick them up. Because I have a $25 gift card in the mix for the right answer here. Now, uh, getting into the uh, whole basketball thing. Let me see if I can uh, pull this guy up. Can anybody tell me who that is? What? <laughs> okay, here's the, 
Jackie wants me to inform you, he's obviously very, wearing very, very short shorts. Uh, I, I guess that could potentially be problematic. Okay, so, he's Italian, if that helps. You guys don't know your Italian history? All you gotta do is go on the Italian Sons and Daughters of America and it'd be all over the place. It's out of the 30s, does that help? Uh, I, I, thank you, but no, I was, I, know, I was not born back in the 30s. Uh, I know I'm an old white guy, but I ain't that old. Okay, here's the name. Hank Lucetti. Can anybody tell me who that is? Wow. Come get your gift card, Oscar. Not a basketball player. <laughs> well, I guess it's going back in the pocket. I'm going to break it down for you. Now, maybe the full name will help. It's Angelo Giuseppe Luisetti. Okay. Anyway, here's the deal. He was a basketball player back in the 30s. So, did somebody say he's a real, real guy? Or? Yeah, he, this is legit. This is real. I know maybe Italians in basketball doesn't totally compute these days, but he's considered to be one of the greatest innovators of basketball ever. Does that help anybody? Uh, no. No, I'm, I, I can't spend any more time on this. I'm, I'm eating into my 40 minutes here. Here's the thing. Long shorts. <laughs> okay, when Hank came along, virtually every basketball coach insisted that their players shoot with two hands. Instead of two hands, Hank used this jerky, funny-looking one-handed jump shot. And the thing I love about his coach, most coaches would have clipped him on this, his coach, looking for results rather than methodology, was smart enough to let him use it. The rest is basketball history. Obviously, it must be ancient history because nobody here knows about it. But according to his basketball promoter, Ned Irish, Lucetti was one of the only players that by himself could literally sell out Madison Square Gardens in the 30s. In the 1937 playoffs, somebody might know this, but I'm not asking, so... In 1937 playoffs, Stanford team demolished a respectable Duquesne by the unheard of score of 92 to 27. He had 50 of those points. Now you're like, okay, well, how come we don't know about him? Why didn't he make it into, you know, pro ball? Here's why. I knew the name, but you know, it's an Italian name, and I probably knew other Lewis Eddies before, so anyway. But this is why he didn't compete professionally. It's kind of a bummer. Um, the fact that he served our country wasn't, but well, he was serving in the Navy, he came down with spinal meningitis. And that totally took him out from that point forward. But, so he never played for the NBA. Nation sports writers voted him the second best basketball player in the first uh, half of the century. So today, obviously, or maybe not so obviously, we're gonna be talking about innovation, innovators. Um, when it comes to innovators, you know, startup companies, dot-coms, things like that, of that nature out of the 80s. Today, guys like Jeff Bezos of Amazon probably comes to mind, right? He's one of them. You know, that, that billionaire class. 
Uh, can anyone tell me who the major co-founder of PayPal was back in 1999? And this is not for a gift card. Elon Musk, he's one of them, yes, that, that is correct. And uh, he's, gone on, he's one of my favorite innovators. I mean, Tesla, SpaceX, the Boring Company, with the Boring Company, you know, he's digging these tunnels for transit. Uh, he also came out with a flamethrower. He can't call it that, but anyways, you can go to theboringcompany.com, buy one for about 500 bucks, and you know, whatever, scorch the insects in your backyard or whatever you might decide to deal with it. But I love innovation. These are people that aren't afraid of failing. They're not afraid of trying something new. An innovator is a person who does not mind introducing a new way of doing things to others. So uh, this morning, again, another innovative, going from one innovative Italian to another, we're gonna take a look at this innovator. Cornelius, the innovator, out of Acts 10, verse one. Go ahead and uh, turn with me to or scroll to or whatever your particular device is. Text 10 verse 1. There's some cool stuff here. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and all his family were devout. You know, they were committed. They were God-fearing. And he gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. One day about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius! And I can kind of relate to the next emotion that he's feeling here in verse 4. It says, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts of the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, his house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. You know, this passage, we have the opportunity to uh, learn a, bit, a little bit about innovation, some of the steps that are necessary there. I mean, we see his first response to the angel being fear. fear. Yet when it came to the angel's direction, what do we see? Yeah, there's obedience. I mean, he had the courage, even though he had no idea what the heck was going to play out here, and he may have known a little bit about Peter, and I, I think we can, we'll be able to see as we get a little bit deeper into this, he definitely knew about who he was and who the Jews were and some of the potential challenges with that, yet he stepped out in courage. And he goes on to be known as the founder of the first Gentile house church, as we'll see here as we proceed through the message here. So as a Roman centurion, he was known to be a man who could inspire, motivate, and lead the command of a hundred extreme fighting men. I, you know, kind of like this guy. It's kind, of, it's kind of appealing. Yet in, well, he's Italian. There's that too. So yet inviting Peter to his own home, you know, think about this. I mean, the, just the, the challenges and the, the uh, walls that were in society, whether it be Jew, Gentile, man, woman, uh, all the different things that are involved during this period of time, Yet he was willing to take that risk, risk of ridicule from his peers and potential rejection. I mean, he took the direction, but what if Peter decided to blow it off, not show up? But he decided to seize this incredible opportunity that God gave him that was extended to him by an angel of the Lord. Now, was Cornelius a Jew? There might have been some proselytization that took place in there, but it tells us that he's not. Was he a Christian? We know for sure that isn't the case, right? right? 
And, you know, does any of that matter? Well, in society it did. But from a societal standpoint, moving into the spiritual realm didn't matter to God. Well, it did matter to God that he was a God-fearing man, right? And because of that, he got God's attention, which is amazing. This, this guy who was not the normal conduit of a relationship to God got God's attention. Verse 4, it says, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering to, to God, before God. I mean, I don't know about you, what an incredible thing to be known for. I mean, for, can you, is there any reason why any, any, any single one of us through our prayer can't be comparable to what we see right here with Cornelius. Yep. How cool. Came up as a memorial offering before God. And this is what I love about kids, just really being able to expand our perspective on miracles and the power of prayer. And in this situation, God's sending an angel to this guy because he knew that he would be responsible with the direction that he received. See, God knows our heart sees our deeds and the things that we do ultimately in our extension of our heart. If there weren't any titles that were applicable here other than Gentile by our standards, possibly, but not allowing our culture or our lack of understanding of God or the Holy Spirit to limit our ability to be a light to this lost world. You know, I mean, the thing that's popped in my head right now, Paul talking about being all things to all men. Amen. You know, do we engage people on that level? A few of you still remember that incredible video that Marshall Craig put together. Where, where is he? Thank you, Marshall. You, you've made that particular statement that comes out of my mouth very memorable for at least two people in here, which, uh, amen. Um, so, but just understanding this, and that when it comes to what we know, I loved hearing about Kit's account of his life and his ability to deconstruct, reinvent, be innovative to his approach, not only to Christianity, but his approach to people, loving people. Um, some of you know the uh, Izuchuku family, right? Yeah. A few of you here? The Sheikh sends me these quotes on different things from time to time, and this one, totally Holy Spirit, I got it maybe a month, oh, actually it was before Christmas, so somewhere in that realm. But as I was, you know, thinking through kid and innovation and who we are as Christians, this thing just resonated with me. So I wanted to read it to you this morning. Uh, it's entitled "My Search for Christianity in Switzerland," and it's written by an individual by the name of. And we'll we'll get there in a sec. I don't want to put that slide up yet because it'd be a little bit of a distraction. Uh, but a guy by the name of uh, Kofi Emakuzi, and uh, so it states, "My Search for Christianity in Switzerland." And we, most of us know Switzerland, not known for Christianity today, right? Yep. I think there was a point in time, 15, 16, 1700s, where it was a thing. Martin Luther, uh, the Protestant movement, definitively had a great impact there at one point in time. But today, uh, you know, my son had the opportunity to be part of a mission team in the Nordics. And uh, he'd talk about Christ, and people would laugh at him. You know, they'd call him a fool, they'd call him uh, uneducated. Because, you know, if you're educated, how in heaven's name could you possibly believe in God? So this is, this is the nation that's there today, but this was very sobering for me. Switzerland. When I landed in Switzerland, I searched for Christianity in places where I was used to finding it. I did not find large billboards and posters announcing life-changing programs with the pictures of prophets, bishops, and pastors. I did not find TV radio preachers on Swiss TV radio or sharing the gospel on Sundays or any other days of the week. 
I did not find Swiss mega-charismatic churches with pictures of Swiss general overseers anywhere. I did not find many Swiss people dressed in their best going into the churches on Sundays or any other days. So I realized I was probably searching for Christianity in the wrong places. I decided to change where I was searching for Christianity. I found the values of Christianity living in most Swiss people. I found most Swiss people keeping to their word. I found most Swiss people orderly and decent as a result, creating one of the most orderly and decent countries in the world. I found out that the best expression of Christianity is in our lifestyle as humans and not in the physical things around us. I had to learn, unlearn, and relearn that the true measure of Christianity is in its application in life on a daily basis and not in the size of our churches, cost of our gowns worn to church, loudness of our prayers, or the promotion of our programs. I found that even, the, through, even though most Swiss will not be in church on this Sunday or the next, the values of Christianity lived within them. This was very different from societies in which people spend much more time in church, but their values of Christianity often lives outside them. If I had to choose one of the above, the former makes much more sense than the latter. Whoops. I guess that slide was already up. I'm sorry. Uh, okay, there it is. And then just the, he closes out this whole piece here with, may we understand that the value of Christianity is in its application. Kofi Emekuzu, media expert and fashion designer. I, I don't know. Does, I didn't know my wife spoke the language. Evidently, I may have just butchered it here. But uh, anyway, so let's talk about this for a minute. Let's talk about this for a minute. Our lifestyle, my lifestyle, your lifestyle. Is this about where we meet? Is this about this building where we hold church on Sunday? Is it about our name, Christian, disciple, whatever we want to call it? Is it about our branding, South Bay Church? Is it about the International Church of Christ? Those are names. How much more significant is conduct? See, our application of Christianity, the value of it, is Christ's living application. Walking with God, faith matched by action. So we all know Jesus is the King of Kings, right? The Son of God. And this is what I love about Jesus so incredibly much, and in that the King of Kings, we know that we see the plurality in Genesis. Man was created in our image. He was there. He was a part of that. The very being that helped put lungs, or well, lungs in this body, but breath in those lungs, right? King of Kings comes down to earth. Did his title mean anything? Did to God. But when it came to his conduct, did he conduct himself like a king? Maybe the, the king of heaven. But in the sense of the nomenclature we're familiar with, in the sense of the culture that we embrace, he was anything but what we would construe as a king. He came to love mankind. He came to demonstrate that love. 
men, women, Gentile, Jew, healthy, sick. It didn't matter who you were. Jesus was there for you as a servant to help you see the need for God in our lives. The King of Kings, nailed, bloodied to a cross. And it's no wonder there were so few followers, because I do believe personally that people heard the message and they didn't want to embrace it. Back to Acts 10. So in verse 9 through 23, Cornelius' guys are on their way to find Simon Peter. Peter goes up on a roof to pray, getting kind of hangry, but he's praying. And uh, he, he goes into a trance, I don't know if it was low blood sugar, there's doctors in the group here that maybe could uh, help me with the scientific backing for whatever it was that took place there. But there was this transition. All of a sudden there was this sheet coming down out of heaven with these four-footed animals and reptiles and all kinds of funk that the Jews wouldn't eat. And the voice that he hears during this trance is, get up, go kill and eat. You know, and obviously the text doesn't tell us that Peter was stubborn, but I think he was a little slow on the draw and that the voice had to go after him on three different occasions there. So in verse 15, it says, we, we see the Lord's response. In verse 14, when it comes to the direction, um, Peter's relatively consistent with what we know about Peter in that this is his response. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Verse 15, the Lord's response, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So at this point, Peter's a little dazed and confused. You know, and maybe flashing back to an earlier interaction, which we're all much more familiar with, when Jesus was talking to Peter about the kind of death, burial, and resurrection that he was going to participate in. What was Peter's response? Peter took him aside and did what? He rebuked him. Never, Lord! This will never happen to you. Back to verse 17. So uh, Cornelius' men show up where Peter was staying. Peter wants to know what's going on. Verse 22, it reads, The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He's a righteous and God-fearing man who's respected by the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. And, you know, this gives us a little bit of insight. I did go down the rabbit hole on this a little bit with uh, Cornelius, because, you know, Italian, roots, all that kind of thing. Um, I wasn't going to go there, but I'm going to go there now, especially after my wife's while. <laughs> Uh, the uh, Gens Cornelia was one of the greatest patrician houses in ancient Rome. For more than 700 years, from the early decades of the Republic to the 3rd century AD, the Corne uh, Cornelii produced more eminent statesmen and generals than any other Gens. At least 75 councils under the Republic were members of this family, beginning with Servius Cornelius Maglogeniusus in 485 BC, together with the Amelii, Claudi, Fabi, Manli, and Varelli. The Cornelii were among, almost certainly numbered among the Gentis Majoris, the most important and powerful families of Rome, who for centuries de uh, dominated the Republican magistrates. So, you know, I, I wanted to get a little bit of background, a little bit of an ADD tangent there, but uh, it's pretty significant. This guy wasn't just some average schmo, but he was a man of influence. Not to mention, we know he, he was doing a little bit better than most because he had a home that would accommodate a lot of people. You know, usually that's how it works. A little square footage, a little, little sale price. Big square footage, bigger sale price, and then location, location, location. But uh, as my wife, the realtor, would tell you. 
But looking at all this, here's a man that God could use in an incredible way. Maybe it was because of his situation. Maybe it was because of the respect or integrity he had in the community. Maybe it was just the fact that this guy had a house big enough to have a house church in. But isn't this something that applies to each and every one of us? Cornelius' house, there was this huge gathering of friends and family. And, you know, Peter shares that he's a little conflicted because of the Jewish law about hanging out or associating with Gentiles. Not a God-made thing, but a man-made thing, right? It's amazing how that particular innovation took God away from a lot of people because of laws, rules, and regulations. So with that... I do appreciate that uh, Peter had the humility to ask why these guys had sent for him. So Cornelius walks him through the interaction that he had with the angel, at which point in verse 34, says, Peter began to speak, I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts faith from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. So again, faith accompanied by actions, faith accompanied by deeds, faith based on our heart and love for God, which we don't need rules and regulations to know how to respond or interact with one another, if that's where we're functioning from, right? Come on. So, in verse 36, he continues, he says, You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, announcing the good news of peace through Jesus Christ. And he continues with the same message, basically, that he preached, that we're all very familiar with in Acts 2, on the day of Pentecost. Picking up in verse 34, it says, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. Now, we don't talk about it a lot. I believe if you go back to Acts 8, it was the Jews first, right? Who ended up with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, which enabled them to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins prior to the Gentiles? The Samaritans. The half-breeds. So we see this progression where God is making it clear that as the covenant that he established all the way back in the very beginning of time is that he is for all men. Jesus, the good news, is for all men, for all women. So, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message in verse 44. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished. You know, I love this too. It wasn't a matter of just Peter showing up, but he had other Jews that were with him to witness this outpouring of the Holy Spirit so they could go back and I'm sure people still thought they were whacked, but just imagine if it was Peter by himself. Yeah. You know, what would the response have been if Peter had gone back to report, oh my gosh, you know, the Gentiles have the same Holy Spirit as we do. He might have ended up dead over it. But it's kind of cool how God orchestrates all of it. I mean, he's got these guys that are with him, other circumcised believers. In verse 46, it says, For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, Surely no one can stand in the way of, their water, of being baptized with water. They have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked Peter to stay with them for a few days. Right here. Right now one of the most innovative things in the history of mankind up to this point is taking place. Why? Because of the power of prayer and personal conduct. We have this innovative ministry of Cornelius that allowed for a huge barrier to be broken down between the Jews who worshipped in the Jewish temple and the, Jew, uh, the Gentiles who had to worship outside. 
Let's see here. Okay, so this is the area that Jewish men were allowed to worship in. We have a wall. Anybody tell me who gets to worship here? You go, babe. Oh, she's reading. She's reading. Oh, my gosh. I, I, like, I totally bought right in. Come on, babe. You're on it. I guess she can read. Number nine. <laughs> and then, uh, obviously, you guys know where the Gentiles are. Is that a, Where is that? That's outside. I mean, we, a little bit of a boundary there. I mean, there's no interactivity. Uh, the Jews avoided them like they were scum. And do you think these guys out here, I don't know what kind of, uh, you know, Brian or Devin can probably speak into the way these porticles are set up and how, you know, the sound reverberated. I don't know, man. Do you think these guys really heard a whole lot about what was going on in there? I, I, I'm, I'm not really thinking so, but, you know, that's, that's above and outside of my pay grade. So... Thinking this through, though, think of the consequences if Cornelius would not have broken out of his comfort zone and listened to the angel of the Lord. And by listening to God, he was used to doing, he's introduced to doing something new here. He innovated the starting of the Gentile house church with Jews in attendance. I mean, it wasn't just a Gentile house church. There were Jews there for that first day of service with the Gentiles, which I thought was kind of cool. But anyway, so millions would have hesitated to walk into, well, they couldn't walk into a Jewish temple, but just imagine the degree of persecution and everything else just getting on those, getting outside of those walls of the temple. And the cultural and social barriers and the language barriers that were involved. Yet through innovation, we have this amazing point of connection from the Gentiles. So what about you and me today? What am I saying here about us? Well, let's use our own talents, ability, and family, family of origin to be true innovators. It doesn't have to be, you know, here's the box, this is the size in the box, here's some of the different things within the box, from box to box to box to box. You guys all got the Holy Spirit that have been baptized for the forgiveness of sin. Yeah. I look at this group, it's a multi-talented group of men and women. Everybody here does something a little bit different from everybody else. So why not use that little bit of everything that's different from everybody else to do your own thing? To allow God to use you in an area that you can be passionate about, that you can be excited about, and maybe even a little scared about. You know, that's what I love about Ryan and Natalie. Um, how many of you had the opportunity to participate in their uh, Easter egg hunt last year at Delthorne Park? I mean, they just decided, you know, they got a wild hair. It's, you know, we're going to go to a park, and we're going to do an Easter egg hunt. And there must have been... Jackie's my uh, fact check person and that I, I'm a fisherman, she claims, well, I am a fisherman, but she claims that with that comes a certain degree of exaggeration. Um, yeah, it was really, it was this big. <laughs> but I think there was somewhere in the realm of probably 50 to 70 parents and kids. Sure. Okay, so maybe stretching a little bit. Would you say 50 or less? Well, it's got to be 50 or less, right? <laughs> you walked right into that, babe. I'm shocked. Usually it's on me. But anyway, so I get a text, I think it was yesterday, hey, we want to do this thing again, but we want to go big. You know, and he's, they're who, what? There you go. And um, so we're talking bouncers, and we're talking about these different things, and promoting it, and really going after it. And they're currently studying with a couple people that came out to this thing from last year. 
But you know, I didn't tell him to go do it. You know, there wasn't anything in our doctrine that said go do it other than we are supposed to be a light and get the good news out there. And that was their version of doing it. And it had an impact. So let's break out of the norm. Let's break out of the boredom, the whatever it is that we're caught up in that doesn't allow us to be innovative. So what does it look like? Establishing something new. And again, as Kit said, I don't want to go back to the good old days. I want something better. I want something new. I want room for the Holy Spirit, and I want to see God working in a new way in my life. You know, I think with with what we're going through right now with the uh, uh, 40 days of prayer, all of us can use the next few weeks to ask the Lord to help you be an innovator for Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So let's break out of the boredom together, right? Let's go all up through the things that excite us about our Christianity. You know, a, few, a number of weeks back, I had the opportunity to get over to McCoy Avenue on uh, Sepulveda. I keep mixing up Sepulveda Lameda. I'm pretty sure it's Sepulveda. And uh, it's a huge homeless camp. I mean, it's a camp. There's like walls of tents. I mean, I was blown away. Walking through, there's people repairing like lawnmower engines. I mean, there's all kinds of activity going on in this community. And... Uh, you know, I talked to this guy, Doug, who's like 110 in. I go, hey, dude, we got some, we got some food from an event we had this morning and some waters and stuff. Would you guys be interested? He's all, yeah. And all of a sudden, he's, he's all, he starts shouting, hey, there, you know, there's food up front, there's water. And then somebody shouts back at him, dude, I don't need you to tell me what to do. I mean, it was, it's like a very Italian family. I mean, you know, it was, it was like back and forth. Everybody's shouting at everybody. And, you know, the final thing back is, well, Joe, you know you said you wanted water, man. Just come get your water. And so I, I decided, you know, and obviously by being out there, it was, it was interesting. The thing they had the biggest need for was water. So I've gone back through on a couple of occasions with cases of water. And, you know, it just hit me, you know what? We got Valentine's Italian's Day coming on up. How about I come through there with some cookies or, you know, something to just acknowledge the fact that they're there. You know, wish them a happy Valentine's Day. And I, I don't know how it'll be received, but just the fact that, they're recognized. They're not invisible. That's what I love about Christ. It didn't matter who you were. He moved through life slow enough, yeah. despite all the distractions, to see those in need. And I think, I don't have any issues with who we are as a South Bay church. I just think our lives are so busy, we don't take those opportunities. We're moving too darn fast to see it. And that's all, I can only speak for me. I get distracted very easy. I bounce from all kinds of stuff. In some instances, it's a gift. You know, it's kind of like that whole woodcutter thing that kids shared about. Sometimes it's a blessing. Well, it can be viewed as a blessing. Other times it's a curse. It's just who I am. And, and, you know, I've been able to make do and do okay in life, despite all the, you know, wonderful things that come along with attention deficit. But in thinking that all through, We all can have those McCoy Avenue types of experiences if we slow down. On June 4th, 1783, at the Market Square of a French village of Annonay, I'm looking to our French expert here, uh, how badly did I, A-N-N-O-A-Y? Anyway, not too far from Paris, a smoky bonfire on a raised platform was fed by wet straw and old wool rags. Tethered above, straining its lines, was a huge taffeta bag, a balloon, 33 feet in diameter. 
in the presence of a respectable assembly and a great many other people and accompanied by great cheering, the balloon was cut from its moorings and set free to rise majestically into the noon sky. 6,000 feet into the air it went. First public ascent of a balloon, first step in human history of human flight. Now, I don't know why the uh, Chinese weather balloon just popped into my head. I'll, I'll just leave that one alone. You gotta got love NORAD and all of our wonderful equipment that allowed that thing to float on over the country unnoticed, but all right, I'll let it go. <laughs> I'm letting it go, Clay. <laughs> I'm sure you have an article or something on that, but anyway. Uh, so with that, this balloon, this taffeta bag, came to earth several miles away in a field where it was promptly attacked by pitchfork-waving peasants and torn to pieces as an instrument of evil. <laughs> One man's breakthrough, another person's evil, right? I mean, you know, but isn't that how new can be? Isn't that how innovation can be? Yeah. We see something we've never seen before, we experience something we never experienced before, and it's like, whoa, did that just happen? Should I have seen that? Should I be here? Should I be participating in that? Take enough time to figure out what's going on, right? I mean, I, I just, you know, all the guys went after Frankenstein going after this balloon. It's kind of crazy. But so we see with Cornelius, Cornelius's God was doing something new. And this is where I think we can get lost sometimes. What's going on? Maybe it's the spirit. Maybe it's God. Maybe it's God's word. But take the time to process what it is that maybe it's got you a little anxious or maybe a little fearful. Where's this from? See, Cornelius' invitation to Peter allowed the apostle to use the keys of the kingdom to open the door of the gospel to the entire Gentile world. And there are many of us, myself included, whose gifts are not being fully utilized to be innovators for Christ. You know, as I stated, I need, to, I need to eliminate some of these distractions in life and get back to the things that excite me personally. Yeah, come on, and there's, there's, just, there's so much that can be taking place that vies for our, our attention. I have virtually eliminated news in the morning um, when I get up. I'm hitting the knees. No shame. No shame. I haven't done it every day. But it is a focus. It is something I'm going after. I'm, ca I'm caught up in my reading and it's expanding the things that I pray for. But a lot of it's just because of the routine. You know, get up, make coffee, open my Bible, watch the news. Sometimes it's watch the news, open my Bible. Sometimes it's watch the news and, oh my gosh, I ran out of time. So, you know, getting rid of, again, those types of, uh, those types of distractions. Cornelius wasn't averse to receiving criticism either. And he didn't have a problem seeking guidance from a stranger. Cornelius had never met Peter. But he used his connections, his God connection, to communicate to the one who knew Jesus Christ. Cornelius cared more about truth and eternal values than merely maintaining the status quo. And for him, status quo was probably a heck of a lot better than most. But he wasn't concerned with that. Cornelius was a man of means. He enjoyed considerable influence. But he was not content with mediocrity. He wanted to know the truth and experience the best God had for him and his family, and then from an extension of that to his people. And I want this. I want the best that God has for me. You know, the same way we should ask ourselves and ask God and then listen, listen for God, pay attention to God. 
watching how God will show up in our lives, paying special attention to how he will integrate eternal values and miracle prayers into my life, into your life. You know, this, uh, we get to the uh, park with our grandkids uh, pretty much every other week over uh, Wilson Park. And there was a gentleman there, uh, Caleb walked over and took his kid's car and started playing with it, and I had to, that whole thing to navigate. But uh, he had one of his own, but he wanted what this other kid had more. And there was, uh, the kid was wearing an Italia uh, soccer jersey, and I'm detecting a little bit of an Italian accent from this guy. But uh, it was awesome, and then I normally would have been much more focused on Caleb and who he was going to potentially you know, create issues with when it comes to his peer group. But uh, so I initiated with this individual, and it was just kind of funny because this week, you know, the whole thing with Hank Giuseppe, this guy's name was Giuseppe. Uh, he's Italian from Napoli, uh, left home when he was about 18, spent some time in the Nordics, ended up coming to the States, loves where he's living here, getting ready to open a business in Temecula, works as a chef at a restaurant in uh, uh, Beverly Hills, and then another one in the, uh, what's the other P? Palisades, not Palisades, Palisades, thank you. And uh, so, you know, I figured, I, I hit him up for where he was working. He gave me the information. I go, hey, we'll, we'll come by and see you for lunch. We'll meet the Lousberries out there for lunch for D time and just continue to go after the relationship. But, I mean, this guy is lonely. Single dad. Two kids. He's got custody of one. His wife has custody of the other. She lives up in central California. And, you know, he's talking to me about just how pained he is and that he only gets to see his nine-year-old a few times a year. And he doesn't have anything going on relationally. I mean, it's all work for him. He works. He, goes, he, uh, he used to live in San Pedro, lives here in Torrance. He's splitting a flat with a guy, with his kid, and, you know, it's to save money so he can start his own business. You know, I asked him about the food of the place you're going. He goes, you know, dude, it's typical Italian fare, man. It ain't nothing special. But he goes, someday, you know. And I'm like, well, I'll be one of your customers someday. But, you know, it's just this opportunity to slow down and have that interaction. I don't know if he's going to become a Christian or not, but I can tell you right now, I want to become a friend. And I will see him there. He's there every week on Thursday with his kid in the park, enjoying this amazing Southern California weather, which he wouldn't trade for anything. He's got people trying to get him to go to Texas. Dude, been there, done that, ain't worth it. Uh, If you're from Texas, you're here for a reason. If you're going there, think about it. But really understanding the pace of life. You know, some of us may need to break out emotionally healthy spirituality again and go through that again. I have. It's, it's helping me slow back down. And just thinking that through, when it comes to Cornelius, this, you know, integrating eternal values and miracle prayers in your life, Cornelius trusted the power of prayer to work out this amazing innovation. He didn't know how it was going to play out. But he leaned in, he went after it, he stepped into it. And the reason why most spiritual innovations fail, think about it. Why do you think they fail? And just knowing how I sometimes invite God into my life, or don't think enough about inviting God in, into most situations and most decisions and most actions that I make, it's because those innovations aren't based on God. Too much of us and not enough God. And, you know, again, I'm not slowing down enough. We're not slowing down enough. We're not aware enough to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit sometimes. And that's where this trust in the Lord and his word and the other disciples and other Christians we have in our life is so significant relationally, bouncing things off each other. You know, I I utilize the Wingies in this matter, the Johnsons, a number of you, Brian Hood, (laughs) 
<laughs> Some of the conversations with Brian, that's a whole other level, but uh, don't have time for that today. Brian's definitely an innovator, especially in the medical field. Um, <laughs> for those of you who know Brian, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, but, you know, with that, just slowing down, relying on the Spirit, and relying on other people. Uh, when it comes to important decisions, I don't make important decisions on my own. I think I did that once. It didn't work out too well for Jackie and I, but uh, probably more than once. But I do understand the significance in that it's great to get another set of eyes on things that I'm thinking about or things that I'm looking at doing. We've got to trust the Lord to, to lead, to provide, and to intervene in every aspect of our innovative thoughts and prayers, and then act on it. To, you know, to bring God's innovative power into our own lives. With that, I have a closing illustration this morning. Uh, Jean-Claude Killy, uh, French national ski team, uh, was part of that in the 60s. And, you know, with that, we know what, what Olympians do, the kind of training and everything that goes into them excelling, doing amazing things. So, and this guy was just like everybody else in that mix. You become an Olympian, there's a reason. You're not adverse to hard work. So at the crack of dawn, he'd run up the slopes with his skis on an unbelievably grueling activity. In the evening, he'd lift weights, run sprints, anything he could do to get an edge. But the other team members were working every bit as hard as he was. And he realized instinctively that simply training harder wasn't going to be enough. Because once you get to that level of competition, everybody's training harder. So Killy then began challenging the basic theories of racing technique. Each week he would try something different to see if he could find a better, faster way down the mountain. And I would imagine, man, this, the fact that this guy was able to close out the Olympics by trying all these new things, I guarantee you, there were some bruised ribs, there were some sore knees, there was a lot of stuff going on as he's experimenting. So some of the things that he did in, in looking for that accepted, uh, better technique involved skiing with his legs apart, not together, for better balance, and sitting back not forward, which was the norm for the time. So sitting back on the skis, he'd, sit, he'd lean back, he'd sit back on the skis when he was going through turns. He also used his ski poles in an unorthodox way, which I didn't knew that, know that what they were primarily used for back then versus how you see them being used today. But he also used his ski poles in an unorthodox way to propel himself as he skied. The explosive new style helped cut Killy's racing times dramatically. In 1966, and 1967, he captured virtually every major skiing trophy. The next year, he won three gold medals in the Winter Olympics, a record in ski racing that has never been topped since. Killy learned an important secret shared by many creative people. Innovations don't really require genius. I love this. Doesn't require genius, just a willingness to question the way things have always been done. So in our walk with God, as we strive to break free of the mundane and mediocre, we can't just simply do church. We can't just simply do Christianity the same way and expect different results. And when I'm talking about now, it doesn't mean we go back to how we did it 20, 30 years ago either. We need to figure out what this looks like for us individually in our personal walk with God and then collectively as to how we're going to have an impact in our communities. We have to be innovative. We have to look for and listen to the Holy Spirit showing up, directing, leading us to a new and better way to glorify God. One thing is for sure, if we're to get out of the 40 days of prayer something different than we ever have, then we're going to need to be open to God and His Spirit leading us to places that we have never been spiritually before. And by doing so, we'll be able to live Christianity the way it's supposed to be 
Exciting, maybe a little scary, but never, ever boring. Let's go ahead and pray for the communion. Father, I just want to come before you this morning just so grateful for your word. Uh, It was so great to have in my heart Cornelius and then to really see, uh, in in some ways, a chapter in the book of Acts that it's significant, but I don't think it ever had the significance it had for me as it did this last couple of weeks studying it through and grateful for the way you work through each and every one of us. You don't have to be a certain type, look, build, uh, mental capacity one way or the other, other than there being an openness to, to listening for you, to you. God, I'm grateful for your word, I'm grateful for your spirit, so incredibly undeserving. But the fact that you know me, that you will listen to me, and that each and every one of us, whether we're Christians or not, I mean, people are praying to you that don't have a title, but help us to be sensitive to their plight. Help us to be there, to be able to demonstrate life for them, not tell them about what life can be or look like, but to really live out our Christianity in a way that pleases you. Thank you so much for your son Jesus, the fact that the King of Kings would come down and humble himself the way that he did and be so amazingly aware of each and every individual he came across and be willing to slow down and stop in those areas where people were definitely in need of help, in need of care, in need of touch, in need of love, in need of just simple interaction. That's what you've demonstrated for us. But to take that to the extreme that you did, as we think about the bread and the wine that we're about to partake of right now, God, we're so grateful for your son and his willingness to die and shed his blood for us, the blood that covers a multitude of our sins, gives us the opportunity to come out of the waters of baptism, pure and blameless in your sight, and to have this amazing relationship, not just now, but for eternity. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.